0: Welcome back as we wrap up our countdown of iconic shoes from the 90s. Uh, let's jump into number six it's another basketball shoe but i didn't necessarily pick it just for basketball um i picked it for other reasons as well and the shoe itself it's the fila grant hill 1996 shoe or its original name was the fila grant hill 2 because it was his second signature shoe uh with the italian athletic line fila these shoes debuted in 1996 Mm -hmm. And again, they were renamed the Fila, the Grant Hill, the Fila Grant Hill 96 for their retro runs, which began in 2008. Originally the Fila Grant Hill 2, they were designed by David Race, who is now the founder of Brand Black. Now, Grant Hill, he was a member, a famous member of the Duke Blue Devils in the 90s. And Hill originally signed a rookie deal with Fila while making his transition to the NBA after being drafted by the Detroit Pistons in 1994. And during his time as a Fila endorser, Hill wore mem- his most memorable pairs, for sure, were, were the Grant Hill 1 and the Grant Hill 2, which he wore through 19, from 1994 through 1996, those two models. Now, the Grant Hill twos, they were eye catchers for a couple of reasons. And I remember even as a fourth grader when these came out, first of all, the shoes overall aesthetic was, was really clean. Um, you know, kind of a chunky profile, but it was still the, the lines were pretty clean and it was a, it was a crisp white. And I remember the Fila branding that is on the front of the toe of the midsole was really prominent. Um, but probably the most the most memorable feature for me and for many others is that iconic patent leather trim, which was navy blue, um, which went around the outside of the shoe silhouette, and that's really what made the shoes instantly recognizable. And the shoe, the Grant Hill two, was quickly adopted into mainstream culture, being as Grant Hill during these years he shot to superstardom, and his shoes. Um, They actually made their way onto the feet of many celebrities, including some hip-hop icons. His first signature shoe, the Grant Hill One, that was worn quite regularly actually by Method Man. Um, For those of you that don't know, he's the hip-hop artist of Wu-Tang fame. But then, And this is according to an interview that was done with Grant Hill. When his second shoe came out, he actually had a mutual friend that he shared with Tupac Shakur. And so he sent a pair personally over to Tupac through that mutual friend. And then unbeknownst to Hill, until someone showed it to him, Tupac apparently approved of the shoe so much that he can be seen prominently wearing them in the pictures inside of the CD booklet of his All Eyes on Me album, which is now a certified diamond album, sold well over 10 million copies. And it's super well known, not just for the great catalog of songs on that album, but it's also the last album that was released of Tupac's before his death in September of 96. But anyway, in some of the pictures inside of that booklet, he can clearly be seen wearing the Grant Hill 2. And that's a pair that was personally given to him by Grant Hill. Kind of like I mentioned, now the Grant Hill 2, which with retro versions were called the Grant Hill 96 Fila is, is um, going back into time and they are now calling new retro versions of this shoe. The Fila Grant Hill two again um, for authenticity sake. And this reversion to as far as the naming of the shoe goes in conjunction with the 2018 lifetime deal that Hill actually signed with Fila. Um, This was done just late last year in an effort to boost retro models in the coming years. Currently, the Grant Hill 2 goes for about $120. Just looking quickly online, it seems like it can be pretty easily found online at retailers, even just like Foot Locker. And I would say nowadays it's a shoe that, honestly, I mean... I think a lot of people buy it out of nostalgia and out of the fact that they are huge Grant Hill fans, not necessarily for the shoes aesthetic, which I think is is super recognizable. Um, but nowadays, like I said, like I know that people are buying the shoes, but I, I really don't see many out and about in circulation. I think they're a shoe that people keep as a collector's item more than anything.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I can't remember the last time I saw these out in the wild, (laughs) if you will. Uh, It's been years, definitely. And that brings us to number seven, which is the Air Zoom Flight 95. Now, folks, I know that we keep promising we're going to get to non-basketball shoes, and we will. But you know, Given how many basketball shoes made it on our top 10 list, I think that's actually kind of an interesting commentary of shoes during the 90s in general. Oh, I mean, it just goes years. to show that, yeah, it really was the golden years of basketball shoes. So much heat coming out during that time so many iconic shoe models and not just from Jordan not just from Nike you know some of these ones that we've showcased we're talking shoes from Fila shoes from Reebok uh and there's some other brands that we're going to talk about a little later on in the show but uh it, it's just interesting to me that when we're talking about our top 10 shoes period that many of them end up being basketball shoes so
0: yeah, well, that was just the explosion of basketball culture in the 90s. I mean,
1: yeah. it started, well, not just it, it basketball started culture, in the but... 80s,
0: but man, like think about the 90s. It was just basketball, hip-hop. I mean, they were really starting to come into the mainstream. And so for for people that were, were growing up, were kids or teenagers during the 90s, I mean, w- whether or not you were a basketball fan or a hip-hop fan, it was inevitable that you were going to come into contact with and probably – Like some of these models of shoes that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I think not only was it an explosion of just the basketball shoe culture, it seems like it was especially like in the early 90s, maybe even late 80s, that that's when the shoe collecting culture really took hold and really took off. And so, you know, when people are connecting, when people are collecting shoes, they're not collecting skate shoes, they're not collecting dress shoes or whatever they're collecting basketball shoes and seeing as that this time period saw shoe collecting on the rise it's kind of no surprise to me that so many iconic models of basketball shoes kept being pumped out at that time so with that said let's segue back into number seven and that's the air zoom flight 95 the air zoom flight 95 was originally released in 1995 as a sneaker primarily or it was first worn by jason kidd And these shoes also found their way onto the feet of other pros like Brent Berry and Tim Hardaway. And they were the first basketball shoe labeled with Zoom Air. The sneaker was originally designed by Eric Avar, and the the shoe features extensive uh, carbon fiber detailing. And Nick, do you remember that one time when our brother came home with those shoes on? Uh, oh, I, I think he'd traded them with one of his friends at school. They they traded shoes for a few days or something. And what sticks out to me the most about these shoes is just how futuristic they look. They have these big oblong, kind of oval shaped bubbles or whatever on the side yeah, of the shoe that looks call very them like bug eyes. Right? Yeah, they call them bug. I mean, they look very kind of alien like or futuristic. And even though these shoes are definitely dated in and of themselves seen as that they came back they came out in 1995 I, I think they still even look pretty futuristic even to this day so oh definitely I, I guess that speaks to the uh the forward-thinking design of this shoe at the time but uh that's what sticks out to me the most about these shoes is just kind of those bug eye ovals or circles on the side on the the midsole of the shoe and uh an interesting aside about this shoe So 1995, when they came out, this was also a huge year for basketball sneaker releases. So in addition to these shoes, 1995 also saw the release of the Air Max 95, the all-time great Air Jordan 11, which we're definitely going to have to have – that will have its own episode for sure. Uh, Also, we saw the release of the Fila Grant Hill, the Reebok Kamikaze, and also the Air Penny 1. All of these came out – during 1995. So that was quite the year for basketball sneaker releases.
0: Okay. Now it's time to shift gears a little bit. And we're going to talk about a shoe that, uh, yeah, it's not personally one of my favorites, but it's inevitable. If anyone ever brings up the nineties, I instantly think of these shoes and I'm talking about Doc Martens. I don't know if that's the same for you, Jared. If you think of Doc Martens, if that's if that's a '90s thing for you, but it sure, <laughs> sure, it's for me. Um, Most and maybe-
1: definitely <laughs> '90s. It takes me instantly back to my high school years in the late '90s. Whenever <laughs> I see uh, certain models of Doc Martens,
0: oh, totally. Um, and just as a, a tiny bit of background about Doc Martin, so like you guys all know, all you listeners, you know, they're the air cushion boots. That's what they're famous for. They come in all types of colors. Um, and even though Doc Martens are still a trend now, they were absolutely huge in the 90s. That kind of came about from beforehand. There were, you know, street kids in the UK. Um, they made Doc Martens really synonymous with punk and indie culture. And it made the, the boots themselves became established pieces of grunge and indie trends, you know, every trend imaginable in that, in that culture or subculture. But going back even a little bit further in time, so the first Doc Martin boots, like most of us are probably aware of, they originated in the United Kingdom. That first original model of boots came out on April 1st, 1960. And this style is also known as style uh, 1460. And it's still in production today. It's an eight eyelet ox blood colored, smooth leather design. And the boots were super popular among workers, such as postmen, police officers, factory workers. They love to uh, talk about the fact that at the time the boots were sold for two pounds a pair, which I'm assuming in the, wow. even in the 60s, that was probably fairly, fairly cheap. But, uh, yeah, so, but by the later 60s, though, you start to see some of these cultural groups appropriate the Doc Martens, um, specifically, even ones with some sort of maybe not the most positive image, like uh, the UK skinheads group started to wear Doc Martens. And by the late 70s, they were also popular among uh, scooter riders, which was a subculture of the time, punks, even new wave musicians and members of other youth subcultures. And the shoes popularity among politically right wing skinheads, kind of like we mentioned, led to the brand, unfortunately, gaining an undeserved association with violence. That's kind of a big piece of doc martin's history and i totally get that docs have always held the stance of um you know being a shoe by the people for the people and kind of have some of that edgier um, they have some of those edgier undertones to their whole brand Um, however if we're talking about the 90s my experience with doc martin is completely different than this culture of, of violence and grunge and indie Um, which I think the two can simultaneously um, exist, these two perspectives on Doc Martens. Because when I think of the 90s and when I think of Doc Martens, I think of my middle school and high school years when Docs were synonymous with the absolute preppiest of the preppy kids. You'd often see, you know, there were the boots, there was also that low-cut brown style, together with, you know, some sort of wide-leg, Lucky Brand jeans, maybe a plaid button-down that was... Billabong brand or some other shirt that they probably bought from the buckle. Oh the,
1: yeah, like like an Abercrombie shirt with the collar popped or something. Or,
0: you know, maybe a, a Ralph Lauren plaid shirt, something like that. You know, I have an image of Docs that are pretty much the polar. It's pretty much the polar opposite of any indie or grunge scene. And also at the same time, those infamous Doc Martin fisherman sandals. They also reared their ugly heads during this period as well apologies if that was a beloved shoe that any of you might have worn uh, during the 90s but i even even at the time i remember thinking that those those fisherman sandals those chunky leather sandals with the big fat buckles they were just man i don't know they were uh something else and not in, not they, the a they, were, they, they were a <laughs> they sandal they were they were a sandal that, that some people wore um for sure so and also interesting too, for me was I never thought of Doc Martens as a shoe that was really by the people for the people because they were, and they they still are quite expensive shoes. Um, even back then in the nineties, often starting around hundred dollars at retail. And so as a result of this higher price, the nineties also saw a bevy of knockoffs from brands like Skechers and worse trying to recreate the Doc Martens shoes, boots, and fisherman sandals today doc martens have seen a resurgence they dramatically declined in sales in the early mid early to mid 2000s but they sort of they they worked on rebuilding their brand and i think rebuilding their image maybe their marketing strategy And then i think they also lucked out with the fact that you know over the last several years 90s style is back in full force now because now all of a sudden 90s is is retro and classic so if that doesn't make you feel old i don't know what does and with that resurgence of 90s style today doc martens they've come along for the ride Um, and currently they manufacture over 10 million pair annually we've also seen them do like so many other brands today um, looking for a boost and greater legitimacy in the fashion world. Doc Martens has done a a host of collaborations with a lot of the usual uh, collaboration suspects that we see today with Supreme off white, Mark Jacobs, uh, Bape, needles. And there's a bunch of other collaborations that they've done as well. And, uh, they're really easy to acquire. I mean, you can still find them much like in the nineties. You can go to your, uh, Go to your. I mean, now you can get them online, but you can also go to your nearest Journeys store, <laughs> or even if you have a. I don't know if buckle stores still exist, but if they did, they would still have Doc Martens I'm sure. Um, maybe pack Sun. Maybe PacSun, um, but you can you can purchase them quite easily. And for some of the junior models and super basic models, that aren't maybe as classic you can find them for maybe hundred dollars or less but most if not all of the iconic doc martin styles including that uh, 1460 boot the original doc martin boot they retail still closer to 140 dollars and above
1: for our number nine pick let's hop back on our skateboards and let's talk about the dc syntax so, DC Shoes was started by Damon Way and Ken Block after the two met during a community college class, and they launched a series of startups. The two friends started 8-Ball Clothing, Blunt Magazine, Type A Snowboards, and Druer's Clothing over the subsequent years. And Druer's Clothing then became DC Shoes in 1993. By 1995, the company's revenue had hit $7 million in sales, and... By 2004, DC had hit $100 million in sales, and at that time, it was acquired by Quicksilver for around $87 million. In 1996, DC released one of their most iconic models, and my personal favorite model of DC shoe, which is the DC Syntax. And The Syntax was one of the first skate shoes that was recognized for its fusion of style and performance, and... It was a predecessor of many chunky skate shoe models that found their way into closets in the late 90s through the early 2000s. My earliest recollection of these shoes was back in high school. I want to say it was probably around 1997, 1998-ish, so a year or two after they came out. And I remember there was this skater kid that sat in front of me in one of my classes. And I just remember he was rocking the coolest black sh- skater shoes i'd ever seen and what was crazy about them is they had this big long logo and at first i couldn't quite tell what it said it actually says dc shoe co usa and some of their th- that's like the official full title of the shoe and some dc shoes have that including the syntax which has that kind of running along a kind of a hill tab or a hill strap in the back so anyways, uh, I just remember that this kid wore those those shoes and that they were so cool. And I wanted them so bad, but being a young teenager working minimum wage, I, I was pretty strapped for cash, so I couldn't get a pair. Uh, there was a gray and blue and red colorway of the Syntax that I ended up buying a year or two after I had first seen them. But I just remember I always wanted those black ones. And never got them, but I always wanted them. So, oh, the good old days of chunky skate shoes but uh yeah the dc syntaxes were and they will always be my favorites so maybe it's the nostalgic factor but i still think they look pretty rad even to this day nowadays dc they've lost much of their popularity and appeal in mainstream culture as far as shoes go but the brand does maintain a level of relevance uh, through its outerwear line and they've expanded into extreme sports Most DC shoe models, including these legendary Syntax shoes, they can be found for between $50 to $75. So
0: for number 10, there was a lot of thought, a lot of inner turmoil as to what shoe might best fit into this last slot on the list. So we kind of opted to take the easy way out and for number 10 we actually have 10 honorable mentions that could all easily have their own spot on this list. And some of these shoes are favorites some are definitely not some are not even some aren't even shoes that we would have or ever would wear because they're women's shoes, but they're a good representation of what the 90s were all about. so I'm going to tick through the first Uh, five of these shoes and then i'll let jared wrap up with the last five shoes and we're not going to go in depth on these but hopefully as we go through some of these shoes again like each of these could have a spot as far as a 90s shoe but you know if you want to learn a little bit more about them you'll have to do your own research because we just don't have the time to do that for all these shoes as much as we'd love to so
1: and for those of you who are alive during that time, at the very least, hopefully, this is a, a little walk down memory lane for you.
0: Yeah. And come check out, again, check out the images. All of the images for these, um, for this entire list of, of honorable mentions will be on our uh, website as well in the show notes for this episode. So, first shoe is simple. I don't have much to say about simple brand shoes pretty simple (laughs) stuff other than yeah it's pretty
1: simple (laughs) not much to say about them
0: (laughs) next is the nike air dt max this is Deion sanders third signature shoe and it's the one that looks like i don't know how would you describe that design on the side it kind of looks like
1: it's like zebra stripes or something that's what it reminds me of
0: yeah their primary colorways were black and white and red and white and i remember Oh, now I can't remember if it was in a bubble on the bottom of the outsole or if it was on the insole of the shoe. There was even an image of of Dion's head with like that iconic bandana over his um, head. Anyways, Nike or DT Max. Check them out. Number three, platform flip-flops. This one's for the ladies out there. I never wore them myself, but... They're definitely 90s, and people definitely wore them. Number four, the LA gear, especially the light-up shoes. Now, LA gear is crazy because I always knew that, you know, Karl Malone had a signature shoe with LA gear. I did not know that Paula Abdul had a shoe, and I definitely did not know that Michael Jackson, he had a whole line of, he he had his own line of shoe with LA gear as well. Um, As you can imagine, they're, um, you know, they've got some shiny metal and buckles and beads and sequins on them. Um, but really for me though, LA gear, it's, the, it's that light up model. Um, as a kid, i remember being so envious of, uh, the other kids that had the LA gear that had the red lights, um, that lit up in the back. And actually, um, you can still get those today for a surprisingly high price point of about $110. Um, wow. <laughs> and, I know and that, <laughs> that was a shock to me. I thought like, Oh yeah. 30 bucks at Kmart.
1: Yeah. A hundred bucks uh, for LA gears. I mean, they were cool. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> right? wow. The, yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember the LA gears. I remember the most, I believe Joe Montana also was signed with LA gear. Well, if the, I'm not mistaken,
0: they had a surprisingly large, like stable of celebrity endorsers. It's crazy. Right.
1: I think it was the Joe Montana model that I saw the most, or that I remember the And they were mostly white. I think they were maybe mid-tops, but yeah, that's what I remember about those.
0: um, Either way, good times. And uh, number five on this list, I hope some of you out there remember soaps. Um, Oh, I hope so. Soap is that brand of shoes that was made for uh, grinding. They look like I can't tell if they look more like running shoes or skate. I think they're supposed to look more like skate shoes, but they have those grinding plates on the, on the, uh, on the arch of the foot so that kids could, and some grown adults, I imagine too, um, could, uh, grind on just about any surface. I mean, pipes, handrails, stone ledges, um, with soaps, there was essentially no surface that was off limits to aggressive grinding. Um, but after some financial difficulty and legal struggles, soaps were actually very appropriately acquired by the, uh, mid-level skate slash athletic slash extreme sport hybrid shoe behemoth, um, the Healy shoe, which under the parent company of healing sports limited, they actually, um, Purchase soaps. And I don't know if soaps are still in production, but anyways, I just thought that was so fitting. Not only that soaps went out of, um, well, before they went out of business, that they were acquired by Healy's another shoe of equal, uh, coolness or lack thereof.
1: (laughs) Shoot. It's too bad. They don't still make soaps. I have a business casual, actually, no, not even business casual. I just have a casual dress code at my work and I could definitely see myself sporting some of these for oh, the daily grind just
0: doing like us just doing like a quick demo for people during lunch or something like out on a yeah out on know, a just, little
1: just, <laughs> <laughs> just getting through the daily grind <laughs> <laughs> okay a couple more honorable mentions here so we've got the reebok kamikaze twos so here we're talking sean kemp seattle supersonics 1995 to 96 nba season enough said about those Then next up, we've got the Nike Air Foam Posit. And these are easily one of the more overrated shoes that everyone is expected to love. This shoe was released in 1997. It was worn by Penny Hardaway. And it was a high-performance basketball shoe in its time. And it was released in a litany of iridescent colors. And the shoe even today is a favorite amongst many sneakerheads on par with Air Jordans. These shoes easily retail at $150 plus and resells often push prices up by hundreds of dollars. And yeah, I agree. This is definitely one of those phenomenons. I just don't understand. I personally think foam posits are kind of ugly. I get it as far as maybe basketball, maybe I'm just missing the boat, maybe for basketball, assuming that's what people get them for, but I highly doubt that. Um, you know maybe they're good basketball sneakers or, or what have you but yeah i don't quite get the hype as far I, as phone posits go i think but people probably, love them yeah I, I think they, they, they sell for probably, a ton of money
0: they're probably good on the court but i've never once seen a picture of you know these people you know dancing around on instagram and stuff with their phone posits on and thought huh i really need a pair of those like i always just think huh those look kind of off like
1: yeah, well, and, and what's, what's crazy is, a pair of shoes. yeah, <laughs> and whenever they release, I, I notice, you know, I'll, of course, I'll browse my sneaker, my Nike sneakers app fairly regularly, and most foam posits that release, they sell out practically oh, just as instantly. quick as Jordans. We're talking in a matter of minutes or hours or, you know, just the matter of maybe a day or two. They're sold out. It's crazy. Absolutely. I don't get it. Yeah. But love them or hate them. The Foamposites definitely made it on our list. They are definitely iconic 90s basketball shoes, and apparently they are not going anywhere. Next up, we've got shower shoes, and today's iteration of those are known as slides. And slides still are hugely popular today. Uh, I remember back in the day when these broke out on the scene in the 90s, it was basically Adidas and Nike were the ones that sold these. And the insole had all of those soft little rubbery kind of pokey things. I guess they're supposed to massage your feet. And (laughs) yeah, they're, you know, they are pretty comfortable. I remember that one of our brothers back in the day, he was a soccer player in high school. And after practice, he would often come home and he had a pair of those slides with kind of those massagey things on the inside.
0: And I remember trying them on and, and, yeah, they were pretty comfortable comfortable they always make your feet sweaty though and then yeah, that's true squeak too. when you walk and yeah anyway <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's round out uh, a few more shoes here we've got uh, the vans half cab these were created in 1992 as a shoe for vans team member steve caballero and this was his well actually his first signature shoe with Vans was released in 1988.
0: Yeah, and and what it was was his first signature shoe was a completely high top Vans and it became like one of the most popular Vans ever. But then what kids started doing was kind of similar. I think we kind of mentioned this when we talked about the skate highs a few episodes back, but with Steve Caballero's shoes, kids were slashing off the tops. And then they would wrap the the shortened top of the shoe. They'd wrap it down and seal it against their foot like with duct tape um, because it gave them greater flexibility to do things like, I mean, really any sort of trick. And so then to make it so that kids didn't need to cut their shoes up, they came out with this half cab model. Um, so they had the height that p- would protect their ankle and that extra padding, but they had the greater freedom and mobility. So...
1: Yeah, good stuff. And let's see here. I think we have just a couple of more to go here. We've got the Air Griffey Max. The Air Griffey Max 1 Fresh Water. We've got the Nike Air More Uptempo. And the thing that sticks out about these, I think most people have probably spotted them. And you can actually, Nike has retroed these fairly recently.
0: The only reason why I felt like they deserved the spot is because I think of... Uh The 90s Bulls, which again, whether or not you were actually a basketball fan, everyone knew and had some sort of awareness about what was going on with the Chicago Bulls during the 90s. And this was one of the shoes that Scottie Pippen was wearing at the time. And I mean, that's really what put these shoes on the map, was him wearing these shoes during those iconic years with the Bulls. Well, Nick, do
1: you want to bring us home with the last
0: honorable mention? Uh sure last honorable mention is just the Nike Air Max sensation which was uh this is a low key favorite of mine it's Chris Webber's one it's one of his signature shoes with Nike before his days with the Dada brand when he had you know spinning rims on the midsole of his shoes before all of that um he had these more conservative looking and like I said I absolutely loved these shoes growing up and uh, I always was uh wanting to to hoop in these but yeah that's that's the that's the list of mentions so hopefully you guys like this at the very least hopefully it sparked a little bit of nostalgia for the 90s hopefully it helped to uh stir up some good memories of simpler times and uh, really the golden era of not just basketball shoes but to Jared's point of shoe collecting in general and when shoe brands all across the board Uh, really started paying more and more attention to the aesthetic of the shoe and you really started seeing more and more shoes taking on um, unique looks different brands really started to, to cultivate a unique look for themselves to distinguish themselves from other brands in the market and so you have some really iconic shoes not just basketball that you see coming out in the 90s and like we saw here a lot of those shoes some of those shoes don't really have a place today in shoe culture, but many of them do. With that
1: said, let's all go party like it's
0: 1999.
1: And we thank you guys for listening. And we look forward to seeing you next time. See ya.
0: Peace out. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Immortal Souls Podcast. For more information, show notes, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at ImmortalSoulsPodcast.com, Instagram, or Twitter. Original theme music by Scott Spriggs. Five-star reviews are always helpful and hugely appreciated. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled.